Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of 2024, The Class of Activism. This episode, I am joined by Shay Figueroa and Valeria Bartra. We will be talking about the Latinx experience. For those of you that are new to the show, the mission of 2024 is to answer the questions, what problems are there, what are potential solutions, and how can we help advocate for these solutions. We aim to be a toolkit for activists and organizers in the present and in the future. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of 2024, The Class of Activism. I am Joseph. I am joined by Shay Figueroa and Valeria Bartra. And today we are going to talk about the Latinx experience. You're going to talk about labeling, immigration, and the lame duck racist president named Donald Trump, because it's what we have to do in podcast world. Valeria is a multimedia communications major and a political science minor at the University of North Florida. She aspires to go to law school and become a civil rights lawyer. Shay is a theater arts major at Stetson University. She wants to go into theater and wants to use her platform for political activism. Shay and Valeria, thank you so much for coming on to the show. No problem. I didn't know I was supposed to talk. <laughs> Thank you for having us, for real. All right, so the first conversation that we have to have about, about the Latinx experience is, of course, labeling because there's a lot of conversation going on around that. And really, it's the debate of race versus ethnicity versus culture and such. So the mainstream um, academic way of labeling Hispanic and Latino populations is quickly becoming saying Latinx. It's been used a lot in academic papers, um, articles and such, but statistically it's just not really used by the majority of the Hispanic Latino population. And the thing is, is that the terms Latinx, um, Hispanic, and Latino, none of these terms are universally accepted by all we consider to be a part of the same community. And the reason that is, is because it's race versus ethnicity. Race is really a social construct and in a lot of ways, and ethnicity, it's much more about the culture and much more about the countries associated with Hispanic Latino populations. And so what has been an unfortunate error within our country is that we've pretty much racialized Hispanic, uh, Latino, and Latinx. Shay, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Um, the whole like, you know, a lot of people not really universally accepting one singular term to kind of label or identify as, even though really like I know a lot of people who use those terms interchangeably, but they're not really interchangeable. <laughs> um but, you know, who am I to correct them? Because, you know, at the end of the day, they're, you know, at the end of the day, they're like, oh, you know, we all eat the same food. We all, um, 
we all eat rice and beans or whatever and I'm like yo chill it's not like that but um (laughs) um yeah that's something that I kind of have to bring up a little bit more when it when I talk about it is that um a lot of people think that race and ethnicity can be used like interchangeably and so um there's a lot of people that are like oh well you know being Hispanic is an, is an ethnicity and not a race so you can't be racist to Hispanics but that's not the case but <laughs> um yes being Hispanic is an ethnicity and not necessarily a race but that does not mean that there isn't like any like racial issues that rise in the latinx community right racism isn't just limited to the social constructs of race yeah so um another thing that i i wanted to kind of mention also is i know a lot of people don't really accept the term latinx as an identifying label because of the fact that there are a lot of spanish-speaking Hispanics that um, claim that this word is just brought up to try and change their language, like their native language. And while that may be like a kind of like a, a valid feeling, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can just invalidate the, the people that the Latinx label is for. <laughs> the Latinx label is for those people who don't identify within the gender binary, you know? So it's more inclusive to um, non-binary and non-gender conforming Hispanics within the community. Valeria? Honestly, I I know that the Latinx thing is kind of new, but like, I think it's a great idea. I think having the Latinx thing is great to have, not only because it includes the non-binary people and all of that it also gives I guess people that don't speak Spanish because I'm I'm trying to think when I think of Latinx I think of how people who only speak English or one language that isn't Spanish they're not going to know that Latino is supposed to pertain to a male or Latina pertains to female you know they're just going to say Latino to like a woman or Latina to a man or something whatever they've heard if you say Latinx that's pretty neutral it's like it goes for everyone so I I like the term Latinx and um the whole Hispanic and Latino thing that goes on like the difference between them I sometimes I forget like what the difference is but I know that Latinos include the Brazil people from Brazil and stuff and then Hispanic is like Mexico and the South America region So, like, sometimes it's a little confusing. I understand if some people don't get it, some people do. Um, But between the Latinx community as a whole, I mean, instead of calling each other, like, oh, I'm Hispanic or something to another person who's also Hispanic, you're just kind of like, oh, um, for example, I'm Peruvian, like, Shay is Puerto Rican, right? And, like, we're all from different parts. We just say where we're from. It's not like you're in the U.S. and you say, oh, I'm I'm Ohioan or something or <laughs> like people here don't have that. So I kind of understand that it's better for everyone here to use those terms, but between other Hispanics and Latinos, we don't really say that. So I don't know. I feel like it just depends on the context. The thing is is that on a lot of levels, it's good to 
have this ambiguity. It's good to have this confusion because a lot of the confusion is surrounding cultural identity. And if there's like one unifying term that it could in effect, in a way, kind of erase a lot of the cultural identities. And the thing is, is that you can't treat um, the Latinx community, this Hispanic community, you can't treat them as monolithic populations that all think the same way, that all look the same. You can't, you just can't do that. That's incorrect and racist. Yeah, going off of that, I I was thinking um, what I was gonna say was that automatically when you come here, people, if you're visibly not white, right? If you're visibly not Caucasian, people will be like, oh, where are you from? Like, automatically where are you from where are you from it's like I was born here so I'm from here my parents aren't from here and stuff like that and automatically people assume are you Mexican because when you speak Spanish automatic Mexican and I'm so annoyed about that I that's what I was gonna say is in my second half of high school years a lot of people, the school was a lot bigger than the one that we went to, Joseph, and there was a much bigger population, but it was ginormous majority white. And the people that didn't know me, that wanted to get to know me, automatically were like, oh, where are you from? All this stuff. I'm like, I'm from here. <laughs> and they're like, oh, uh, automatically asking me for Spanish answers in Spanish class and all this stuff. Like, I can speak Spanish, but if you're just going to use me for your Spanish homework, I don't want to talk to you. And um, <laughs> that I there was a lot of things wrong with that. Some people are really insensitive, and I feel like most of them are insensitive, especially in high school, because they don't understand what's wrong with those questions. Like, when you're asking someone where they're from, it makes them feel weird at least for me it makes me feel weird because then I automatically feel like I need to be from somewhere else or I need to not be born here and people automatically assume that you're you came here illegally and stuff and that's what a lot of people said to me when I was over there and it was really bad and that's one thing that I talked about a lot in my debate club when I was in high school over there is because like I didn't want all of these people that could be saying these things wrong or not wanting to be rude or anything and being super insensitive, I wanted to like kind of help them understand, you know? And every time someone said that to me, I was sure to let them know, be like, okay, you don't need to ask that question. I'm from here. But like next time, you know, if you're going to ask someone something like that, just be like, what's your ethnicity or something? Don't be like, oh, where are you from? Because that's just weird to me. I don't know. That's just weird. Yeah, um, I was actually, I actually wanted to add on to that, that um, it's really insensitive to ask somebody that is not distinctly white um, where they're from, because coming from, from your point of view, Valeria, and also for mine, I'm an American born Rican like I was born in New York I've lived in America my whole life and people will ask me where I'm from and that just creates a sense of like you don't belong here so I know you're from somewhere else like 
Um, yeah, like, I'm, you don't look like the rest of us. Like, you, you, it's kind of like saying, oh, you don't look like the rest of us kind of thing. And I don't like that. That's just so bad. And it's so exclusive and weird. I don't know. <laughs> but I people, see what you're saying. It's people so are coming up to me randomly on the streets to ask me where I'm from. Yeah. It's just an issue that does not exist with white people. Yeah, no. Unless you have, like, an accent, which is an audible thing. If anyone has an accent, then you're automatically going to be like, oh, what's your ethnicity? Or, like, where are you from? Or something. But if it's just because you're asking them based off of looks, that's weird. Or asking them, or just assuming that they're Mexican because you hear them speaking Spanish to their family in a grocery store. Or you hear their mom has an accent being like, oh, are you Mexican? No. Why do you have to do that? <laughs> it's like these people think that Mexico is the only spanish-speaking country when it's like there's like what 20 some countries that speak spanish i know i know yeah and it's 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 so like for lack of a better term it's very tone deaf to like make this generalization about like all hispanics and latinos that like if you hear someone speaking spanish on the street they're immediately mexican to you like that's such a that's such a closed mentality, like a closed-minded mentality. And it's also just very tone deaf, very insensitive. Um, like, <laughs> no. It makes me think of those people that are like, oh, I don't see color. Like, do you not see our countries? Ah, uh, <laughs> those people. All right. And really what a lot of this conversation, it's for the issues that we want to cover on this episode. It's not the most important conversation to have it's it's a very important conversation to have it's very needed within the context of american uh, civil discourse but at the same time it's really getting down to identity politics and identity politics most of the time it does not put food on the table and it's just that identity politics it's not action-oriented politics. It's not going to actively make people's lives better in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't really know what to say besides that it it doesn't make people's lives better, but it does make us, I guess, feel more included and heard. I um, will not necessarily just heard, more listened to, because some people... I'm sure someone listening to this podcast that heard what I said about how saying where are you from is pretty offensive might be like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm never going to ask that again to someone. You know, it's kind of just educating people on different things and making sure everyone understands all of the differences. I don't know. I don't know how to word it better than that, but I think I know what like you guys I think I know what you're getting at, Larry. Like, I feel like even though it's not going to, like, drastically change everyone's lives for the better, it is going to create a sense of inclusivity and also, in turn, kind of strengthening that unity within the Latinx community. Because, you know, like, we already have, like, America against us. Like, people, there's people that don't want Hispanics here. Like, they don't, there's people that don't want illegal immigrants here um but you know like like we we're already like the odds are already kind of stacked against us in a way so like why do we need to do that to each other you know and the thing is is that with with the labeling issue if you make 
as an as an activist, if you make uh, identity politics the center focus of your activism, you're not really getting anything substantive done. You're not really making people's lives better. You're not actually addressing the issues pertaining towards um, Latinx communities. And it's basically the dynamic of, thank you for calling us by the correct term some of the time, but um, can you actually tell us like how, what you're going to do? No, literally like, yeah, you you got it. You, like, you got the name on the nose. You got the identifying label on the nose, but like, what are you going to do for um, these undocumented children that are getting sent like to these um these camps these detention centers um people who are being taken away from their parents like children that are being lost and like just never found ever again like what are we going to do about that like oh thank you for recognizing latinx as a term but now what are we going to do about these kids in cages all right so going on from here let's talk about we're we're going to have to talk about immigration. It's it's just really typical and on brand for the U.S. that one of the main policies is a continuing conflict over if people from uh, Latinx countries actually belong in the U.S. It's, it's just so typical of American imperialism, American racism, and it's just, yeah. But let's really kind of look at the history of U.S. immigration policy in the context of Latinx communities. So much of the U.S. immigration policy in the early early 20th century was super restrictive and designed to only let in white people from northern and western European countries. And so you have a couple of immigration acts um, of 1921 and 24 that are just super, super restrictive and aiming to combat a lot of immigration from even just Eastern European countries and such, and, and especially within Asian countries. And so you then have things within, I think it's within one of those two immigration acts, section 1325. It's the law that criminalizes crossing the border undocumented. And so this is where you get a lot of the foundation of the issues pertaining to the deportation of immigrants um, and the modern day agricultural system that relies heavily on undocumented immigrants. It's, I just think that like, it's such as like a, a phenomenon that we have dealt with for years and years, not just like the Latinx community, but like, you know, other countries as well, like Asian countries, um, Southeast Asian countries, African countries, other Caribbean countries that are not Hispanic. Um, like those people are also having trouble with immigration. So it's like, it's such a, a, a racially designed act <laughs> you know like basically they're doing everything in their power to keep people of color out of the country when they never founded the land like this land wasn't theirs to begin with and then they pushed the people who originally lived there off of their land slowly killing them off it's like what kind of like ethnic cleansing kind of thing are you trying to do here sometimes i feel like they're trying to whitewash a whole country or something man 
I went to a predominantly white school. I'm already whitewashed enough. Why do you have to try and whitewash through all the immigration stuff? Like, oh my, it is annoying. It's really annoying. And um, I'm sure, I know in Mexico, there are some regions where most of the people who come out of there are like blonde hair, blue eyes. They do not look what you would typically think of a Mexican as, you know what I mean? Like they're not brown skin or anything. They, they, I'm sure if they came to the US illegally or something and they somehow found a way to get past everything and just live where everyone else was, they would never get asked anything unless they opened their mouths and had an accent. Like as long as you look the part, you can be the part apparently. Nobody cares about Canadian immigrants or anything. It's, it's really just terrible that everything in this country is based off of skin color and the type of hair you have and the language that you speak. I like, it's, I don't really know how to explain, but it's America. Yeah. America. So dumb. It's crazy because like America prides itself on being a diverse country while also doing while also doing everything in their power to keep people exactly. out of the country. <laughs> like, I don't get it. There's like, there's so many people like bragging about how diverse their country is, you know, America. And like, they're like, oh, you know, we welcome everyone except if you're illegal, <laughs> except if you don't have the money to legally become a citizen, because that takes a lot of money and time. Like I know people who moved to America years ago and just now became a citizen because they were going through a whole process, spending money, finding documents, um, like, you know, doing all this stuff to make sure that they can, you know, secure their part in the country. So I, I never understood why people were like, oh, well, if you want to come here, do it legally like everyone else. We're trying. <laughs> but it's that period of time where we're trying, where people are still considered illegal that now they're targets, even though they're trying to become like legal citizens. It's a whole process. Yeah, the entire citizenship process in this country, it's a very long, lengthy, drawn out, expensive process. And now, recently, this is going to probably be reversed in the Biden administration, but the Trump administration just recently changed the citizenship test and made it more conservative and way less accessible to people actually taking the test. Like, instead of it being a written exam, it's an oral exam. Like, you have to, like, there's no multiple choice actually there is multiple choice they just don't tell you the choices and there's about 100 different questions that that the tester can choose from and some of those questions are so ambiguous so unclear and so designed to trap people that it makes it really really bad and re and just is just a complete really clear example of what the Trump administration has thought of non-white people. Um, I know that this isn't about the Latinx community, but this is something that I told you before is that I work at a nail salon and almost every person in the nail salon, I have like three people that are Cuban and um, they live here. 
but they need to get their um what's the what's the word help me out what's what is it they need to pass their test citizenship um and like i was helping one of the vietnamese people that uh lives here and works in the nail salon and i was helping him study for this test and i don't even know this stuff and it's even harder because he's not fluent in english so some of these words he doesn't even know what they mean i basically have to teach him english all over again starting from like kindergarten level so that he can understand what these questions are and what the options are for him to say and not only that is that if someone else he wanted me to teach him because he said that i pronounce words very well can you imagine if he got someone who wanted him or the test person that he got has a friggin southern accent or something he's not going to understand anything and they're going to ask him those questions and he's not going to be able to answer and i feel really bad because i was in school and i couldn't help him too much now i'm out of school and i'm done with that but before i like didn't have enough time and he wanted to be able to take the test as soon as he could it's been i've been working there for like two or three months now and i've helped him only a few times i wish i could have helped him more and i i still can because he hasn't taken it yet and he hasn't um signed up for the test but a few of the people in there have to take their tests and those cuban women that work there have to take their tests and they automatically when they found out i was helping him learn they were like can you help us can you help us and i was like for sure like I'm so fine with helping you guys. It doesn't matter. Don't pay me. I don't want you guys to pay me. I don't want you to feel like you owe me anything. I'm just going to help you. Like this is really difficult and after seeing all those questions that they have to answer on top of coming to the country and dealing with racism and everything that they have to deal with, all of the people that have to take this test, I wouldn't be able to take this test. Someone that has lived here, someone that was born here wouldn't be able to take this test. I didn't learn most of this stuff that is on the test. Like it's terrible and there are so many questions and you have to memorize all of them because you don't even know what you're going to get. Like I don't know. I the test is so bad and the, the fact that they're trying to make it more difficult is so annoying. Why can't they all take the test and then decide how to make it more difficult? Like you need to put yourself in someone else's shoes before taking something and changing it for other people. I don't know. It's so dumb. The the test is already hard enough. Why do you have to make it harder? I don't understand. Basically a citizenship test designed to have the least number of citizens possible. It's so crazy because so many people view this country as like, you know, the land of the free, land of opportunity, but only for those people who are already in it. <laughs> you know, it's so crazy like there are like there are people who don't think that like um people from other countries should be able to seek refuge in this country which is probably way safer than whatever situation that they're they're escaping from like <laughs> like the reason people are coming here from other countries to seek refuge is to be safe and not only are they are they in fear of what they had to endure there, but now they're in fear of having to be sent back? All right, let's let's go on to talking about really the shift in immigration policies. Like ever since the 
21 and 24 immigration acts, U.S. immigration policies were getting more and more, or, or sorry, less and less restrictive. But then 1986, it comes along. There's something that Reagan signed into law called the Immigration Reform and Control Act. And this was seen at, at the time as a compromise. So it made it illegal for companies to hire undocumented immigrants, but also legalized immigrants who had been in the country since 1982. Now this, even though it's looked at as a compromise, it's really the beginning of U.S. immigration policies getting way more restrictive once again. You go to 1996, the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act created many of the deportation policies we see today, like a lot of the intricacies of policies surrounding the deportation of immigrants, that, those were created in 1996. And then you have the post-9-11 era, where in 2002, the most consequential of a lot of the immigration legislation in the early post-9-11 era, Department of Homeland Security is established in 2002. And ICE, being a subsidiary of DHS... ICE's Immigration and Customs Enforcement, that's established in 2003. And as a result of these two organizations being set up, a lot of their purpose is mainly to be the deportation of undocumented immigrants. Deportations soar under the Bush administration and also the Obama administration. One thing about the whole, like, ICE thing soaring under Obama's administration is Donald Trump has taken his things and making them into, making them, did I just say making them? Made them into this horrible, horrible object for this man to use. Like he, Obama, I know with Trump, he's putting these little like kids in cages and separating families and whatever. And every time I talk about that with someone who does not have the same political views as me, they're like, oh, but Obama started that. Obama built those cages, right? He was not going to, I doubt that he was ever going to do the things that Trump has done with this and especially allowed the things that ICE is doing now, separating so many children. I just wrote a paper um on the amount of kids that were separated from their families and don't even know where their parents are like they don't have any way to reach their parents anymore these kids are still here stuck in a cage and they've sent the parents back to the country where they came from and it is crazy to think that these kids will probably not find their parents until they're adults again and it's so sad it is so sad and the fact that people try to flip it and say that this is what Obama has done is so wrong. It's so wrong because Obama didn't do this. He may have built the cages. He was never going to use them for that. And Donald Trump just completely turned it into something com totally evil, totally wrong. And it, it should not have happened. It shouldn't be happening right now. The numbers should not be going up at all. And the thing with the Obama era family separation policies that admittedly he did institute the bare, bare, bare bones of those policies, it was rare in a lot of cases for families to be separated. It was only in like very extreme circumstances, such as like literal human trafficking. But with Trump, he transformed Obama's 
admittedly well-intended policy at the time, and he transformed it into family separation on a systematic level. Like, it was not just an exception, it, w it became the norm. Yeah, and that's something that I kind of mentioned earlier on, is that, like, people are now, like, they're worried that at any moment, like, like they're gonna get deported, they're gonna get detained in these detention centers, they're gonna get separated from their families. Like, nowadays, I, like, I know before, like, there were people who, like, kept their status, like, very secretive, their citizenship sat status very secretive so that, you know, nobody can hold that over them. But now, like, I see it a lot more because there's a lot of people who are afraid to, you know, let that information get into the wrong hands. And then, you know, out of nowhere, ICE comes knocking on their door, like, hey, we're going to take you away. Like, it's something that I personally, I personally have not seen happen to this extent un until Trump was elected pre president. I agree with you very much. I did not ever see this much. I, I never saw this much like separation and fear of this ICE administration or whatever until Trump came into office, until Trump said completely blatantly racist things all over social media, on TV. He just, one thing that my family will say is that racism was always here. It will always be here, but the one who brought it out was Trump. He made it okay to be racist in this country. And that is so completely wrong. It is so wrong. It's terrible to think that if you don't look like the people that you're supposed to look like, quote unquote, that you can get killed, you can get treated completely like differently from everyone else, just because you can speak a different language, unlike some um, uneducated people can only speak one language, you know? I don't know, maybe, um, maybe you should learn another language. I don't know what to say. Besides, um, people that can hold two languages in their brain might have a better brain than you. And if you think that it is right to treat someone wrong because they speak a different language than you, then shut up. Like, I can speak English. I don't care if you can only speak English. I'm not saying that just because you can speak one language, you're wrong. I'm saying if you can speak one language and you're trying to make other people who can speak more languages than you or a different language than you feel like they're not welcome or something, and you claim to live in a country that is supposed to be inclusive and a melting pot, like Joseph said, then shut up. You don't deserve to have the right to make people feel excluded from anything. It's so bad. I hate it. My thing is like, it's not, it's so blatantly like racist the way that these people go about it because I've never seen a person who came from a European country speaking their native language being told to like go back to where they came from. I've never seen some a French speaking person, a German speaking person, um, you know, like any like any other like European what like white European language speaking person. I've never seen an instance where they have been told to go back to their country. You know, like it's always the people who are speaking Spanish, the people who are speaking um, their native languages from, um, if they came from an African country, a Caribbean country that is not Hispanic, 
an Asian country, Southeast Asian, any of those regions is apparently free reign for those people that love to tell them to go back to where they came from. And no. that's where kind of the double standard exists. Some people come here to this country wanting a better life for their children, right? And in order for them to have a better life, some of them don't teach their children Spanish or anything. And they're not in touch with their own culture. And it's really sad because like I can speak Spanish and everything and my parents were okay with teaching me, but they never really taught me Spanish. I just learned it growing up because my parents spoke it. And that's how a lot of kids grow up nowadays. But I mean, I wouldn't feel comfortable moving to Peru or anything and living on my own because I don't know enough. And I just feel, like I said earlier, completely whitewashed and people don't let you feel welcome. I am afraid to be in public and speak Spanish to my mom. I, <laughs> I don't even see my dad that much, but I know that if I was going places with him or something and there were some racist people around, they'd definitely give you some dirty looks. And if we spoke Spanish, they would definitely say something to you. Now, especially not just the Hispanic people or the Black community is being oppressed about this. It's also the Asians and people from like China and Vietnam and Japan that are coming here and um, they're getting harassed like because of the COVID situation. And it's like really difficult for anyone to speak a different language in this country without being sort of afraid. And with looking a certain way, you kind of get a little scared. And the aggression that comes out of Trump supporters and white supremacists and all of this, like I just recently got a Black Lives Matter sticker on my car and a women's rights sticker and a sticker for inclusivity and equality kind of stuff for LGBTQ and everyone, all people of color and all this stuff. And I was recently driving to my boyfriend's house and I get so scared because <laughs> I feel like I drive past all these Trump signs, all these trucks with Trump stickers. You know, the, most of those people probably have a gun with them. And I am so terrified. <laughs> I'm like scared. I was regretting the other day putting that sticker on my car, those stickers, because I feel like one day I'm going to get attacked for it or something and for the way I look it'd be even worse if I was white and I had those stickers I'd probably get yelled at but since I don't look white or anything if I get caught up with someone who doesn't agree with me I could definitely get shot <sighs> and um it'd be even worse if I was black which is terrible good old gun-toting America yep no no horrible <laughs> yeah so let's let's talk about how undocumented migrants make up a significant part of the workforce and because they are undocumented because of things like section 1325 because of the 86 immigration reform and control act they don't have any workers protections to speak of they don't have really any of the new deal benefits like 40 hour work week or a minimum wage or even like just basic safety laws like with a lot of agricultural work that uses a lot of undocumented migrants there's like no minimum wage there's a lot of child labor 
very long hours and very unsafe working conditions. And the sad thing is, is that if these workers were to organize, they could de they could be deported at pretty much any time, just pretty much at the will of the government. Yeah, it's really, really, really crazy to me how um how a lot of people can sit here and say like immigrants are taking our jobs when we're first of all they're not, <laughs> and second of all, it's like why are you mad at immigrants for having employment when you should be mad at the people who are exploiting these immigrants for lesser pay than they should be getting like what where is the this is where the like that dissonance happens is that uh, we shift the blame to the people who are just trying to make ends meet for their family you know like they're not doing anything with the malintent to rob other people of opportunities they're doing it so that they can survive <laughs> You know, and it's very self-centered to think that, to think that immigrants are taking jobs that were meant for you, apparently, when we all know that a lot of these jobs that immigrants are working, nobody else would want to take. So it's very, it's so self-centered to be assuming and shifting the blame onto those immigrants who are working. I was going to say about the whole overtaking our jobs thing, like, do you really think that they're taking your jobs? Do you actually want to go out in a field and pick fruit for 10 cents an hour? Like, that is so stupid. I hate when people say that. I get so angry. I just get so mad. <laughs> Fun fact, a lot of the people that uh, say that they're taking our jobs are, like, employed. So how can you really claim that? You, you just can't. And then the people that are in that group that don't have jobs, it's because of the manipulation of the GOP for years and years, saying that, oh, you're struggling? You don't have a job right now? Oh, it's because of this guy over here. Yeah, and it's crazy because, like, touching on, like, the whole child labor thing, like, there are kids who, like, they, like, they go to school and they miss school for, like, months because they have to work and they have to harvest to earn money for their family. Like these kids are like 12, 13 years old. They're in middle school and they have the mentality that there's no time for dreams. There's no time to have aspirations because they have to work. And they feel like they're gonna be working their whole lives. Like the, we're, robbing, we're robbing our future generations of aspirations and of any mentality of hope because they have had to be on the grind since like they were like 10. Let's talk about now um let's talk about Puerto Rico and just we want to really emphasize on this podcast that in Puerto Rico and in a lot of other um a lot of other countries the U.S. committed genocide just plain and simple the U.S. committed genocide forced sterilization and forced migration, they fall under the definition of genocide. And so what this really gets down to is that in like, I think it was like the 1940s to 60s, there was this huge forced sterilization program within uh, Puerto Rico. And a lot of it was just basically taking the, pol the policies of eugenics and applying it on a scale that had not been seen like ever and so you have like mass hysterectomy i think mass hysterectomies happening in puerto rico and it's just 
really sad and unfortunate that a lot of our country is just unwilling to accept or even teach that we did this. I just don't understand how people cannot wrap their heads around the fact that ha like being forced to be sterilized, have a hysterectomy is not genocide. Like how people cannot wrap their heads around the fact that it is because you're literally robbing someone of the opportunity to procreate, <laughs> you know, to create a person. And so by doing that, you're literally essentially attempting to kill off an entire like culture. <laughs> it's very frustrating to see that people don't think that this is such a pressing issue as the other things when I, I personally think it is because some of like some of these women who are being like who are having hysterectomies are not even aware that they're having these hysterectomies until they happen <laughs> you know like they don't even know that they're going to like some of them are forced to have it and they are like they're like you know like i don't have a choice like you know i'm forced to have this hysterectomy like if I, like i don't have a choice but some of these women don't even know that they're that it's happening until after the fact that it's happened you know, like in these, um, in the, especially in the detention centers, there are, there are doctors that are like just performing these hysterectomies unauthorized. <laughs> and it's a total violation of a woman's body. Like it's so messed up. Like I don't, I just don't get how people don't, how some people cannot understand the level of severity that this has on, on my culture and on, on Valeria's culture and on any other person's culture, you know? We're going to talk more about um, about Puerto Rico in a future episode, pretty much just arguing that, you know, it should be a state, people, come on. Like, at this point, it, it just needs to be. Anywho, but with Puerto Rico, they need debt relief by yesterday. And they are in a crushing amount of debt, so crushing that, it's it falls into bankruptcy territory but because they are only a territory of the united states they can't declare bankruptcy like a company or a city this is a law that the u.s made um i don't remember the reasons why i'm sure that they were completely racist but you have states that can declare bankruptcy but puerto rico can't and puerto rico is in a very bad economic situation where because of their crushing debt businesses don't want to invest into the in the country they don't want to do their business in the country like puerto rico is in a very tough spot right now <laughs> like and it's crazy how much how how not even how much how little the u.s has helped them out <laughs> you know like like i understand that we're like like puerto rico is a u.s territory and you know, like, yes, we're our own people and we're our own country, but like at the end of the day, like we're like you guys bought us. <laughs> so like help a sister out, you know? <laughs> like I just don't understand like what is it that is like what I'm just trying to wrap my head around the fact that America is I, I don't I don't wanna like make assumptions, but it seems like America is thriving okay like it's thriving and it's doing okay but now their territory is not like i i don't i just don't understand like how that can happen 
because they're not considered to be white. So, U.S. doesn't care about people that aren't white. The majority of people in the U.S. do not care. And the thing is, is that with with how we've been to Puerto Rico, it's really just this American imperialistic racism. And we had the nerve to pretty much overthrow the government in Puerto Rico in order to get them as a territory and then just completely ignore everything. And that's just a really grave immorality on America's part. And we've done this with like other we've done this with like other countries. We've overthrown governments. We did it with Iran. Um, with Mossadegh, we overthrew him. We did it in the Congo when we overthrew, um, Patrice Lumumba. My thing with America, big love to the U.S., <laughs> but my thing is historically, we have always inserted ourselves in situations where we did not have to. Like, nobody asked for our help. We just decided, hey, we're going to help you out and basically imperialize your country because we assume that because you don't have the technology that we do because you don't have you know a lot of the things that we do you must be struggling and you must need our help and it's that kind of savior complex that kind of got Puerto Rico in this mess and it's very frustrating it's very frustrating because historically the U.S. has always done that always inserted ourselves in situations where we weren't asked for help, but we decided to give it anyway. Yeah, we're going to talk about um, this saviorism complex, especially white saviorism. Um, that's going to be in an episode in a couple weeks. But yeah, it, what it really gets down to is the, just this idea of American exceptionalism and American arrogance, that they think that they can just solve all the problems everywhere else, when really... Yeah, conservatives, a lot of the time, they advocate for, in within America, self-determination. But everywhere else, no, we need to completely institute our form of government. But when we try to do it, we fail really miserably. Like, we don't even install our form of government. We just install some weak form of democracy that's always going to fail because they lead to issues of corruption within those countries. And so we always set countries up for failure, even when we're claiming we're like instituting democracy over the world, all over the world. Ugh. We can't even institute democracy in the U.S. <laughs> like, yeah, just, like this election. I was just about to say, like, I don't know why the U.S. tries to go out of the country and do things for other people and they can't even control their own people in their own country. Like, why, why are you trying to be the good guy when you're not the good guy? <laughs> and the, I, I mentioned this like a while ago and like in that focus group that we did for um for Aaliyah um that the thing that makes us a democracy is the power of the people but the people in power are not listening to the people so the very thing that makes us a democracy is being ignored <laughs> so it's like how are you going like like Valeria said how are you going to try and help other countries when you're not even listening to the people in your own home. All right, so I want to really end with um, a lot, a lot of the issues, a lot of the policies that we're going to have to look at in this podcast. 
Many of the problems currently facing the Latinx population are also faced by other racial and ethnic groups because of America, their systems only being designed for cisgendered white Protestant males. And so in this podcast, we're going to look at things like housing, education, economic mobility, the gender wage gap, and the racial and ethnic um, things that influence that, and also policing. And we'll talk about all these issues and more in future episodes. And we will do so in kind of an intersectional way, because in order to create true racial and ethnic justice, you have to be intersectional. There's just no other way to go about it. Yeah, um, like if your activism is not intersectional, then it's there's always going to be like gaps that you're missing. You know, like there's always going to be something that you're missing that you probably won't get. Um, you know, your activism has to be intersectional because everything that, like all of these systems that are put into place that are set to oppress other people is very, very, very intersectional, you know? Like I just said, if you don't care about other things and other people, dude, you're not going to get anywhere in life. Nothing is going to happen if you just care about yourself and that's it. Like nothing entertaining, nothing will change. Everything's just going to stay the same and nothing will progress at all. So you have to be intersectional. All right, so I want to end this episode with a moment of silence for Brandon Bernard and all the people that are going to be executed and murdered by the Trump administration. All right, that that concludes our episode. Thank you so much, Valeria and Shay, for coming on to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> All right, that's our show. Thank you so much to Valeria Bartra and Shay Figueroa for coming on to the show. Next week... I talk with one of the most successful organizers in the state of Florida, Cristeles Estanga, about what organizing is and about the differences between grassroots organizing and consultant-based strategy. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at 2024podcast, our Twitter is at 2024pod, and our Facebook is 2024 the class of activism. Our editor and producer is Grace Herzog. Our graphic designer is Cass Bradley. Our social media coordinator is Hunter Asme. Our policy specialists are Katie Kraft and Jada Hunter. Our legal analyst is Dee Huey. And the intro and outro song is by Joachim Karud. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.